Hey One Hope, wherever you are tuning in from this morning, I want to say welcome and thanks for joining us again for another Sunday morning. As ever, it's an incredible joy and a privilege for me to be in the pulpit. This morning, as I promised you last week, I want to be speaking on the church. I want to be speaking from Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 1 to 13. We looked at the same text last week, but in the context of calling and how Paul speaks about how God has called him and the privilege of his call and especially the privilege to carry the message of Jesus to the Gentiles. And so we looked at how that applies into our lives. If you missed that, I really encourage you to go and watch that. It'll be a, a personal encouragement to you as you work out the calling that God has placed on each and every one of our lives. Um, but this morning we're going to be focusing in on the church. I've called this sermon Church on Display. Church on Display. But before we do that, let me pray for us. Father, in the name of Jesus, we come to you and we thank you that we have bold access to your throne because of the blood of Christ and what he has done for us. I thank you for this morning, those who are watching who may not know you. I thank you that you would open their eyes to see, as Paul prays here in Ephesians, that the eyes of their hearts would be, would be opened, would be enlightened to see the wonders of what you have done. But Father, for each of us, whether we've known you for just a short time, whether we don't know you, whether we've known you for 30 years, I want to pray that your word would penetrate deeply into our hearts and our minds and our thoughts and our actions and behavior um, this morning in Jesus' wonderful name. And so what I'm going to do is I'll, I'll do this in parts this morning. So I'll read some of Ephesians and then probably stop and explain it. And we'll just see how we go as we go. But so he starts off and he says in, in Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 1, For this reason... I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ, and, and I want to just stop right there because when an author says, for this reason, well, we want to ask, well, well, what is he thinking about? Or he says, when I, when I think of all of this is the other way that he says it. And I, I remember um, with humor, uh, Stefan's preached a few weeks ago in, in the little clip about the German submarine and um, the guy saying, what are you thinking about? And uh, whenever I read this now, when I think of all this, I always think, oh, what is he thinking about? Well, well Paul's thinking about uh, the double alienation of these Ephesians. He's thinking about how they haven't just been far from God. They haven't just been alienated from God, but they've also been alienated from the commonwealth of Israel or citizenship of Israel. That's why he calls them strangers. But then he's also thinking about how through Jesus Christ, not only has there, there's this double alienation, but there's this double reconciliation that they reconciled first back to God and then into the people of God or into citizenship with God. And so this is what Paul's thinking about. He's thinking about barriers being demolished. And we've spoken about this extensively in the last few weeks. He's speaking about He's thinking about a, a new multicultural society. He's thinking about God and the family that God loves. This is the metaphor that Paul's used. He's thinking about God and the temple that he's building that he's going to live in, that he's going to live among these people. And so as the Gentile readers, these Ephesian readers, actually they were probably listening, someone was probably reading it over them, this letter from Paul, they must have been so full of joy and amazement as Paul unpacks um, this gospel reality for them. And so this is what Paul 
is thinking about as he begins chapter 3. Now I want to pause for a moment. If you're in a group, I want to ask you to push pause and, and think about it and talk about it in your group. If you're in a family, do the same. If you're on your own, why don't you grab a pen and a piece of paper, a journal or something, and just write down answers to these two questions. The first one is this. If I asked you, what is God's big plan for the universe? What is God's big plan for humankind or mankind? What is God planning? What, what, how could you sum that all up? I'm thinking obviously particularly from the book of Ephesians and what we've been learning. But how would you sum up God's big plan? And then secondly, when you've, when you've answered that to the best of your ability, I want to, I want to ask you this question. If, that's, if what you believe is God's big plan is God's big plan, what are the practical outworkings of that plan? In the world today. How does that happen in Stellenbosch or wherever you're watching from? How does God's plan get enacted? Alright, so I hope you had some fun discussing it. I hope it was helpful. Uh, we're going to come back to that throughout the sermon this morning. But I want to read on. So we're reading Ephesians chapter 3. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. Now I'm going through this quickly because we dealt with all of this last week. We were speaking about this. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ. I want you just to notice that word there, mystery. The mystery of Christ. It's the second time that he's using it. Which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the spirits. This mystery is that. Drum roll please. So he's talking about the mystery, the mystery. He's actually going back. We're going to look just now into chapter 1 where he also speaks about the mystery. And then now he's about to say this is the mystery. So we need a, a drum roll moment. And he says this mystery is that the Gentiles our fellow heirs, members of the same body, partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. And so we see Paul beginning to speak at length about this mystery. And I already alluded to the fact that he already speaks about it in chapter 1 and verse 9. And it's just not a new idea. Paul is actually in chapter 1 listing the blessings that we have in God. And he's listing all these incredible blessings that we have, spiritual blessings, heavenly blessings, now blessings, forgiveness, grace, adoption, all these things. And in the list of his blessings, he says one of these blessings is that God has made known to us the mystery of his will. It's one of the blessings that we know longer living in this mysterious place where we don't quite see fully and we, we hope that we understand some of what God's doing. God's saying, no, I've revealed more of it to you. Not all of it. There's still a lot more mystery as any Christian will, will quickly testify. There's a lot of questions we don't have answers for. A lot of mystery. But some of this mystery has now been revealed to us. And it's a blessing of seeing a little bit more of, of God's plan and His will. is. So let me ask you again. What is God's big plan? Well, the way that you should answer that is to say, well, Paul, if we went to Ephesians chapter, chapter 1 or Ephesians chapter 3, God clearly tells us what his big plan is. So let me read it for us again. In Ephesians chapter 1, he's making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ. Here the mystery is. 
as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in Him. Things in heaven and things on earth. This is how he says it in chapter 3. The mystery is this, that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Now, you might be a little bit lost and I don't blame you. Some of the language that Paul uses is, is difficult. It's hard to understand, especially if you're just kind of dipping into our series and you haven't been going through it step by step as we've been unpacking some of these thoughts. Let me just help us with a, with a summary of God's plan. What would a short summary be? God's plan is this, to take everything, and I mean everything, that is not united and to unite it. Somehow, using a historical man called Jesus to do all of this. So that's a summary of, of, of what God's great plan is. So to clarify, because I'm all about the clarity, to clarify, these are actual tangible things in our world and in heavenly places or in a heavenly world that, that we don't quite get yet, we only understand in part. These are things that are, are in our world and heavenly places are divided, are separated, are differing in opinion, are, are disagreement in disagreement with each other. These are things that are in conflict. These are things that are split or splintered. And God wants to take all of those things and unite them, all these ununited things or disunited things, and unite them Again, and so let me, again, let me clarify, just what do these things cause? What do these divisions cause? Well, just think about anything that divides and fill in the gap. These things, is, it's mind-boggling. They cause wars. They cause genocide. They cause hatred. Or think about families or relationships and they cause divorce and, and families not talking anymore and sons hating fathers and fathers hating sons and parents and children no longer talking. Or, or think about society and what divides and disunity does in society and we see racism and social division and inequality and economic disaster and economic just crazy things happening in our world. Think about the church. Think about church splits. Some of you have been part of them, incredibly painful. Think about religious persecution, church-on-church church persecution. Think about church anger, church ridicule about other churches. Churches basically shooting holes in the other church's boats so that that church sinks. It's not hard to find division, disunity, brokenness, discord, splintering, splitting, differing, disagreement. We think about opinions around the bri or the family table on gender and sexual expression on on the vaccines on women's role in society and it doesn't take us long to get clarity that if god's mysterious plan is to believed if it's to be believed to unify everything all these things on heaven and on earth or in earth on on earth and in heaven through a man called Jesus, if that's God's great plan, then, then wow, it's big. It's, it's a humongous plan, right? To unify 
all of that from, from the wide angle stuff that we're seeing happen in Afghanistan this week, this, this, the terrible tragedies that are going on in that nation right now, through to our daily disputes. Wow, God's going to unify all those things. And then, wow, how, how incredible must Jesus be? If Jesus is the vehicle or the way that God does all these things, how amazing must Jesus be, right? And this, friend, one hoper, person who just happened to come across our video and is watching today, this is what we as Christ followers get invited into. This is... This is what we are part of and it's incredible and it's awe-inspiring and it's just downright flabbergasting that God would invite us into His unifying plan for the whole universe. Maybe now it's beginning to dawn on us why Ephesians 3, why Paul is going on about this mystery, this mystery. And he says, he says this, it helps us understand why he says in verse 5, why this mystery was not made known to the sons of men in other generations as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and, and prophets by the spirits. Does that mean, by the spirit, does that mean that they didn't know anything of it? No, that they did. From the very beginning with Abraham, God says you're going to be a blessing to all nations. So it was beyond just Israel. We see in Isaiah, Isaiah speaking about Gentiles flocking to the temple, coming to God. And, and there's this repeat theme of Gentiles coming in and somehow being a part of Israel in some way, shape or form. But they never grasped it like this. They never got the, the magnitude. It's, it's actually overwhelming and it's scary and it's big and marvelous. Yes, but it's also, it's also new and difficult to understand if you were part of th this group that Paul was writing to. And it must have been like, wait, stop the bus. Let me just make sure I'm hearing right. Let me make sure that I'm understanding this right. And, and, and again... I want to just underline this, that all of this, all of this unifying that's, that's being realized in part now, but there's still a whole lot more to come. Do you see that Ephesians 1.9 says, in the fullness of time, in the fullness of time. In other words, when everything has been wrapped up, that's when we're going to be fully unified and there's going to be no more sin and no more brokenness and no more division and no more hatred and no more wars and no more hostility and no more racism and no more economic divide. The fullness of time. It's a beautiful time to look forward to, right? But all of this through the historical man, Jesus, who lived on this earth, and was executed as a criminal and then had a bunch of crazy followers after he was resurrected from the dead who went around trying to tell everyone that he was actually alive. All that, all that, mind-boggling, all right? Should we, should we just carry on here and see? I mean, it just feels like when I'm preaching this, I just feel like it's so hard to just carry on because it's just, it's incredible. It's, it's absolutely incredible. But, but let's carry on. Verse 6. The, this mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. In other words, Paul's just saying, hey guys, 
what's happening here between the Jews and the Gentiles and you Ephesians and me as a Jew. This is an example of God doing what he already said is his great plan. He's going to unify all things in the fullness of time, but he's doing it already. We are a living example of that. And then he carries on and he says, Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. Paul's talking about his calling. We looked at this extensively last week. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery again, hidden for ages in God who created all things. So Paul's saying, man, this mystery, God's now told us what it is. I've told you what it is. We're starting to see it at work in our people. We're starting to see it at work in your very lives. It's happening in front of you. And he's using words like in, uh, in this verse, un, unsearchable. It literally means it cannot be tracked out. You can't figure it out. It can't, you can't work it out. Um, he uses other words like in, in 1 verse 19, he speaks about the immeasurable greatness of God's power. In, verse two, in chapter 2 verse 7, he, he says that he might show you the immeasurable riches of his grace. And so we see this, this repeating idea of, of Paul using like this superfluous language, this large language, trying to explain to our little minds... The wonder of what God is doing and that he's explaining to the Ephesian church is happening. So then we get to ask this question, why? Why is God doing all this? And, and he doesn't leave us to wonder. He tells us, verse 10, so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now this little verse is incredibly important. And so we're going to take a little bit of time just unpacking this. Let me, let me start by asking you what you understand by the word church. The Greek word here is the word ecclesia, and it literally means a gathering, and it, it can be expanded a little bit to mean a called out gathering or a chosen gathering. And that's literally what the word ecclesia means, a called out gathering. So, so let's track with Paul here and see what he's saying. So Paul is saying, because God has called out a gathering of people, a church, He's going to use this gathering of people to show the manifest, the manifold wisdom of God to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Okay, now pause again. Those of you who've been tracking through our series, put your Ephesians hat squarely on and think about this because this makes complete sense sense right it's completely consistent with what Paul has been teaching all the way through Ephesians so if we go back into Ephesians chapter 1 what do you see you see a God calling out a people he, he calls them adopted he calls them sons he calls them daughters he calls them forgiven and he says that they've been reconciled to God they are receivers of 
His grace. He says that he does all of this through a man called Jesus. Now what's going on here? We're seeing God creating unity between himself and mankind. We're seeing God erasing the hostility between himself and mankind. We see God breaking down, dividing walls between himself and mankind. So what, isn't this the big plan? Exactly. So Ephesians chapter 1 begins to show us God, as he breaks down the divide between God and man, he unifies God and man. Oh, God's beginning to enact this great drama, this big plan. Exactly. Then Ephesians 2 says it like this. Hey, it took enormous power to do this. So much, so much that he actually calls it immeasurable power. And so to help us get that, Paul takes the power that he wants to explain and he speaks about how the Holy Spirit gives us three examples. Paul in the Holy Spirit gives us three examples of this power at work. And he says, look at God's power and how it raised Jesus to life. Another way of saying that is, Jesus' unity with the Father is restored. Isn't that the plan? Exactly. And then he says, well, look at how Jesus was raised to life. But he says, but you were dead in your trespasses and sins. And you were doing this and you were doing this. But you, just like Jesus, you were raised to life. You were brought back into unity with the Father. Through Jesus, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ, as we've been looking at in Ephesians. Isn't this the plan? Exactly. And then, as a third example, Paul turns to people and he says, Look at God's power for the third example. Not just Jesus raised to life, not just individuals raised to life, but communities that hated and were divided and were disunified, communities raised to life. Another way to say this is unity with the Father and man to man or man to woman or woman to woman. Can you see how it's spreading how God's plan, which is initiated in Jesus Christ, begins to overflow and overflow and overflow until one day in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 9, in the fullness of time, all things, all things on heaven, in heaven and on earth will be unified in Christ Jesus. Isn't this the big plan? Exactly. And he carries on in Ephesians 2 and he speaks about citizens and he speaks about family and he speaks about building and a temple. And he's saying, man, you weren't, you are aliens and strangers. Now you're citizens. Now you've been called part of the people of God. And not just that, now you are God's sons and daughters. He calls you family. And not just that, he's building you so tightly together that every one of you is touching every one of you. It's an even tighter metaphor than families. He's building you into a temple. And guess what? When he's built his temple, as he's building his temple, he he comes and dwells among it. Wow. Everywhere we look in this whole book, we see the same thing. God calling out a gathering of people. And that, friends, is called, in one word, the Ecclesia in English, church. That's what Paul is going on 
about. And I, I wonder if I wonder if you think of church like this. I wonder if you think of church as this incredible rolling out of this eternal plan of God that that has every wish we could ever imagine. Every beauty queen who stands up and says, I want world peace. Every social justice warrior who stands up and says, it should not be like this. And they write, it shouldn't be like this. They're just often looking in the wrong places to try and fix it. Every instinct in us that says, this world is broken and we hate the brokenness and we hate the sin and we hate what it does to our marriage. And our, and our children and our world and creation or any instinct that, that teaches us or, or pushes us in this way, do we realize that God is using the church that in the fullness of time, it's going to be gone and it's going to be changed completely and we're going to live in a whole new world. I wonder if, if you've considered the church like this. I wonder if you've considered the body of of believers like this, God's people like this. So now we see that God is gathering all these various stones from around the world, from every nation, people, tribe, tongue. He's gathering and he's unifying. And he's gathering and he's unifying both to himself and to one another. And he's unifying. And then he begins to teach these people how to create unity in the world and to be fair to those around them and to love others. And you can just see how this thing begins to spill out and spill out and spill out. Now, why is he, why is he doing this? Well, there's going to be, as we're speaking about this, this, this day, this fullness of time when it's all going to be complete. But why is he doing it right now? Well, he says, so that through the church, this is what we're speaking about, the church, that one little word, the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Let me carry on a little bit and I'll come back to that. He says this was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. I want you to notice that little phrase in verse 11, has realized see this mystery was no longer abstract or unsure it was realized paul is not theorizing in his writing here he's not talking about a future kingdom he's describing what he is seeing already he's saying the good news this wonderful mystery that is so much wilder and more full and more scary and more complete than the saints of old could ever have grasped and i want to venture that nearly every one of us could grasp this this picture that is so large it's actually happening in Ephesus and in other places, towns that they know, places that they would have walked in, people that they would have known and had experience with. It's happening right before their eyes. And they're seeing a radical emergence of a new, multiracial, unified humanity, a God society. Jews and Gentiles and the family of God, people who previously hated each other and wouldn't call each other, wouldn't, wouldn't even look at each other together and both being told they are part of one body with one head, Jesus Christ. And all of this so that, let's go back to verse 10, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be not made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. So let's 
Think about some of those phrases. Well, manifold, the word literally here in Greek means many colored or multifaceted. It was used to describe uh, an array of flowers. It was used to describe uh, beautiful crowns. It was used to describe uh, complicated embroidered cloth and woven carpets. This word manifold and so god is is in this in this place he's saying look i have manifold wisdom our wisdom is for a variety of people for all sorts of people from every color and nation and preference and tribe and race and everything you can imagine he's saying my manifold wisdom and then he's saying it's displayed on a huge white board like in the heavenlies like his church us his people and this mystery, this plan that he's outworking is literally like a billboard on display. And here's the part that really surprised me when I dug down into this again, is that it's on display to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. In other words, to spiritual beings, to the angels. So God is displaying the splendor of his might and his glory and his wisdom also fascinates me that he says God is showing through the church the manifold wisdom of God, not the manifold power of God or many other things you could put in there. But God says, this is my wisdom. He's doing that. And these elders, these angels, these saints gone before, maybe when Hebrews speaks about the great cloud of, of witnesses, and I don't want to go into, I don't want to overstretch this, and I don't want to read detail into here that the Bible isn't giving us, but I think we can with absolute clarity say a few things. Number one, that these rulers and authorities in the heavenly places, whatever Paul has in mind when he's writing that, but it's definitely heavenly beings, that they also didn't know the magnitude and the extent of what God was doing. That this mystery was also a mystery to them. And that somehow, secondly, God in His colorful and multifaceted wisdom is using His church and fully revealing to these celestial beings, these spiritual beings, what His plan actually was from eternity past. God is using us, the church, to display this. One, one theologian poetically wrote, it just, it just struck me when I read it when I was preparing this week. He said, God's church is God's, or the church is God's graduating school for angels and heavenly beings. Just saying, it helped them understand the mystery of what God was doing. And the, the implication is that they marvel. That they, even the angels are marveling at this unifying that is going on. They just, they just never realized that God in His power would go to these lengths and do this crazy stuff here on earth and into the future. And all this, verse 11, was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him all I want to say on that little verse is that this is the result of what we have of being in Christ 
encourage you to go and read Hebrews 4 for maybe a fuller explanation of how we can confidently come even in our sin, even in our weakness. And that text in Hebrews 4 so powerfully speaks about how we don't have a high priest who doesn't know how to sympathize with us. No, just like you, just like me. He understands weakness. He suffered a temptation. He's faced trials. And so he's able to lead us confidently into the throne room of God in our time of need, in our weakness. And so that's a, that's a, a result and then verse 13, so I ask you, Paul says, you remember he starts off saying, I'm a prisoner, guys, on your behalf, Gentiles, because of you, I'm a prisoner. Now he ends off by saying, so I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. And he's literally saying to them, guys, I am in prison. I am facing possible execution, which we know then was actual execution. I'm suffering so that you would know these truths which would lead to your salvation, which is your glory. Just one little sidebar here. It's a sobering thought that lives were lost. Paul's life was lost to bring us the very message that I'm reading to us this morning out of Ephesians that was read over this Ephesian church long before we were in the story or in the picture. Lives and blood was lost to this cause. Do do you get it? I hope as I've gone through the scripture, I hope I've managed to explain this text in a meaningful and helpful way. And I want to, I want to conclude and I want to conclude this morning by I've been, I've been alluding strongly all through the text, but I, I've tried not to put the word church in there too much because it's such a, a word that people have an ability to switch off to or, or it can evoke a whole bunch of hurt or pain because the church is, is just full of normal people like you and like I who hurt other people and who do damage when they don't mean to do damage. But all this gathering and unifying and mystery being revealed eventually boils down to one thought or, or even one word and that is ecclesia. A called out gathering. In our language today, the church or our church or One Hope Church, if you want to bring it into the smaller thing. But actually, this is the the worldwide church. And One Hope is just a a little bitsy expression of that. Not even the whole church in Stellenbosch. Just a little part of the church in Stellenbosch. Or even more accurately, if we would, as Ephesians 1 says it, he says it put, talking about Jesus, it says, and he put all things under his feet and gave him as head, Jesus as head, over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Friends, if all this unifying and gathering and mystery revealing and power and hope and redemption, and grace, and future hope, and future unifying, if all of that is happening through this vehicle that God calls the church, which is on display for even the angels to see, I want to recommend that we need a serious personal rethink, a major rethink about the church, about our understanding of the church, and about our response to being part of the body of Christ, our response to being part of a local body of Christ, whether that's One Hope or you watching from another church this morning, that church, that you, we need a major rethink. John Stott, who's an author and theologian, just 
profoundly articulated this for me this week when I was reading a, a, a section of his commentary. And he wrote this about Ephesians chapter 3. He says, The major lesson taught by the first half of Ephesians 3, so we've been reading today, is the biblical centrality of the church. Some people construct a Christianity which consists entirely of a personal relationship to Jesus Christ and has virtually nothing to do with the church. Others make a grudging concession to the need for church membership, but add that they have given up the ecclesiastical institution as hopeless. In other words, the church as hopeless. Now, it's understandable, even inevitable, that we are critical of many of the church's inherited structures and traditions. Every church, I want you to hear this one, Hope. Every church, in every place, at every time, is in need of reform and renewal. But we need to beware lest we despise the church of God and are blind to His work in history. We may safely say that God has not abandoned His church. However displeased with it He may be, He is still building and still refining it. And if God has not abandoned it, how can we? It has a central place in His plans. Christ follower, let me finish off this morning and ask you this. Because the above is true, because God's word is true, I have a, a sense in the spirit this morning that we need to do some serious business with God as individuals and as a church. I, I trust the Holy Spirit to reveal to you what He wants to reveal to you through this text this morning. But I want to ask some questions and, and prompt our hearts to think through some of the implications of what this Ephesians 3 text means. So I'll ask Charles to, to put these up on your video and you can pause and, and think about these questions. In The first one is this, in light of Scripture's teachings, is there anything I need to repent of? Friends, here I'm thinking about moments where we've said things about others, moments where we've said things about the church of God, attitudes that we've held towards local church, towards the wider church, toward other parts of the wider church. Is there anything? Let the Spirit work in our hearts and bring to light the things that we need to repent of. Secondly, what beliefs do I hold that God is showing me are wrong? Now hopefully when I, I shouldn't even have to put question one in. If question two, if we understand when God shows us something and we go, oh my goodness, the natural response should be repentance. But I just want to make it explicitly clear. The third one is similar. What behaviors do these beliefs lead to? And is God challenging me to change them? What are these practical outworkings of our lives? What does this mean about our Sunday? What does this mean about our time? What does this mean about how we build in our business and the amount of time we push into our career versus the amount of time that maybe God wants us to spend with His people? Maybe one-on-one -on -one over a coffee, taking some time to disciple men or women who are younger than you. Maybe taking some time to disciple young moms when you've got five children or ten children and you've been doing this for 30 years. Maybe it's time to consider, Lord, what behavior needs to change because this is so important and I want to be part of it. I want to be part of it. 
Question four, if God's whole plan centers around a people and around unity in Christ, how committed am I to being a part of fulfilling His plan? And question number five, if we really understood church like this, what would it change practically in my life? Now, there's some overlap in there and you just maybe want to pick one or two of those and do them right now and then through the week think on these other things guys this is if this is God's plan for the fullness of time and it's an incredible mind-blowingly big plan and he's saying to us you're an integral part of this with Jesus as the head you're his body you're his body you're on display to the world man it warrants us carving some time in our diaries Pushing pause on some aspects of our lives, switching Netflix off, maybe even not watching the rugby or the football. <gasps> I said it. And actually just saying, God, speak to me about this. Speak to me about this. And then, very lastly, I want to speak to you this morning if you don't follow Jesus, if you are not a Christ follower. And by that, I don't mean that you were raised in a Christian home. I don't mean that you even necessarily believe that Jesus was a historical figure and lived. What I mean is, do you follow him? When he says something, do you say, I surrender my stuff, my life, my things, and I want to follow you. I want to obey you. That's what a Christ follower means. Let me ask you this morning, what about you? When you see this mighty plan of God, is something in your heart longing Longing to be a part of this people and a part of this incredible vision of the future where everything is in unity again, but that we already in some way get to begin to see the beginnings of unity happening here on earth. Well, the amazing news is that it can be yours, that you can be part of this family and you need to see that you have sinned personally sinned not just kind of you know corporate yeah we know we've all sinned in the world no you have sinned against God you need to ask him to show you that you need to realize that because of that God can't accept you and that that's just and that that's fair that he doesn't accept us with our sin but then you also need to hear this incredible news that God has made a way for you to get rid of that sin something that you could never ever do on your own so that you can be in unity with his people, welcomed into a new society, a new kind of humanity. How do you do that? I hope, I hope there's someone watching today with that question burning in your heart. And I'm going to read Ephesians chapter 2 for you. Because it describes exactly where you're at and where I was and where everyone who ever came to know Jesus has been in their lives. He says this, he says, once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins, you used to live in sin just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live this way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like everyone else, right? We're not judging you. This is all of us have been here. Now listen to this. But God. The most precious words in the Bible. But God is so rich in mercy. 
And He loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, He gave us life and raised. When He raised Christ from the dead, it is only by God's grace that you have been saved. Paul inserts there just so you know for sure that it's only because of Jesus that you can be saved. For He raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with Him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. So because you get united, that's the uniting we've been talking about with Jesus, God can look at you and say, Jesus is perfect. You are perfect. You are holy. You are blameless. You are my son. Do you see how it works? We get what Jesus gets because we're unified, wrapped into, merged with, as it were. I'm trying to find helpful language here, into Jesus. So God can point to us in all the future ages as examples of this incredible wealth of His grace and kindness towards us, as shown in all He has done for us who are united with Christ Jesus. Now listen to this one more time. God saved you by His grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. Salvation is not, listen to this, salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. So none of us can boast about it. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew, made us alive, brand new. When Christians talk about being born again, this is what they're talking about. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things He has planned for us long ago. Let me pray. Father, this is a challenging word. It's a word that makes me realize how I need to shift my view around your people, around shepherding, sheep, church, unity, disunity, other churches. Oh God, there's just so many implications. I need your help. I need you to help me to see how I can be a a meaningful part of what you want to do in and through this world, in your kingdom, through your church. Father, as you challenge us, would you remind us that you are the one who empowers us to change anything. I pray your Spirit upon our people, your Holy Spirit, to fill us again and again and again with power from on high to be able to live like this, to be able to see this rightly and to outwork it in our lives. I pray for anyone who's who's read and prayed that Ephesians 2 that's coming to know you for the first time. Lord, would they find church like this? Would they find people like this? Would they find God and unity and redemption and forgiveness like this and understand fully what it is that you have done and are doing in and through us? In Jesus' precious and wonderful name. Amen and amen. Friends, I encourage you one more time, let this word sit on you. Don't just brush it off and rush on with the busyness. We all got busy lives. Let it sit on you this week. Let it sink and and push into our hearts. Let it push into the practical outworkings of our lives. Love you guys. Bless you. Have an awesome rest of your Sunday.